Well, good morning. Uh, what a great day to be in the house of the Lord um, with you, and what a great day to be in air conditioning. Um, this last week, my air conditioning went out on Wednesday, and so I got to spend the week um, acting like I was camping indoors, I guess. And so, um, praise the Lord for AC. Um, and so, it's just a great time to be with you. Um, so, our passage today is Psalms 46. So, if you want to just go ahead and turn there. I mean, as you're going there, I was going to tell you a story um, just from my, uh, I guess, from my life. And so, uh, many of you probably know this, or you may not have heard, but when I was born, I was born with a birth defect uh, with a club foot. And so for mine, it's different for everybody, but mine is where my right foot was turned inside like this. And so that's not very good to help you to walk. And so the doctors decided to get together, and they did a few surgeries in my life. Um, and so I had one when I was six months years old, had one when I was 13, 15, and then 17 years old. And as you can tell, you can't really tell when I'm walking around up here. You know, that's the wonders of modern medical science and the miracle of the Lord with that is I'm able to run and to play sports on Sunday nights, basketball, that kind of stuff with the college guys and everything. It's never really slowed me down, and that's a blessing from the Lord. Um, but it has had a major impact on my life, the way I view life, what the Lord has done through me um, because of these surgeries. And so I had one when I was six months. Don't really remember that one. You know, I was crawling around. There's some videos of me with a big old cast on as I'm crawling around and doing stuff and getting into things. Um, but I do remember the one, well, I remember all the other ones, 13, 15, and 17. Um, but the one that happened when I was 13 had a very large impact on my life um, in the sense that 12-year-old Steven, 13-year-old Steven, my whole world revolved around baseball, like most 12 and 13-year-olds, you know? But, you know, I was going to do it. I was going to make it into the majors. You know, I was going to be different from everybody else. You know, I wanted to play for the Yankees. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Boo. Yes. I know. I know. I know this is Astros land, but... Um, <laughs> When, when you're in Arkansas, you don't got a team, you know, you ain't got nothing. And so, so what do you pick? You pick the team you played for when you started playing, you know, and that's what I played for. So I picked the Yankees because of that. So you got to forgive me. Um, I've tried to change, you know, but, you know, we can't all be perfect. You know. Anyways, I was wanting to play for the Yankees. Baseball was my world. Um, we played starting in February around October, you know, like travel teams, Little League, All-Stars, the whole nine yards. I think my parents did it to keep us out of trouble. Um, and so anyways, uh, so baseball, 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 baseball. We even had a batting cage set up in our shop where we could play year round. We would practice. We spent hours and hours and hours playing pepper in the yard, me and my brother and my dad. Hours and hours were spent on it. So my whole world revolved around baseball until I was 13. And I was told, um, because of my club foot, we had to go to the Children's Hospital in Little Rock, Arkansas, um, and get checked up every couple of years as I was growing. When I was 13, they told me, hey, you're gonna have to have a bunch of surgeries. <laughs> you're gonna have one 13, 15, and 17, um, because as you grow, your foot's not gonna grow quite right. So when I was 13, the outside of my foot was growing faster than the inside of my foot. So I was walking on the outside of my foot. So they had to correct that. So when I was 13, they told me this. And I remember being crushed, because I was going to have the surgery in December, so I was going to miss pretty much a whole season of baseball. And that may seem like a small thing, right? Like, oh, Stephen, in the grand scheme of things, that's not very big. But in 12-year-old Stephen's mind, that was huge. My whole world revolved around baseball. And I remember um, I had come to faith at 10 years old, 
two years prior to that. And I had been in church my whole life and had heard the gospel and heard things about the Lord and read the Bible some. And I remember coming home from that meeting with the doctor and kind of running up to my stairs. I remember crying and I remember wondering, Lord, why me? Why does this have to happen to me? And so let's dive into Psalms 46. Um, We're going to start in verse 1 there. We're just going to go through the whole thing. Um, And it begins, the psalmist begins, and it says, God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. And I love verses like this because we tend to just kind of skate over them. We tend just to kind of go, okay, cool. Like, God is our refuge and our strength. I've heard this a thousand times. Let's just move forward and get to the good stuff. Let's get to the stuff that is good. But we need to really just kind of sit here and think about what this means. God is our refuge. God is our strength. So God is someone who we should run towards during time of trouble. God is our refuge. God is someone ready to provide strength when we are weak. When we need strength, God is ready and there to provide strength. Um, God also says he is a helper. He's always found in times of need. And so, like me, our first instinct is to question, God, why me? Why why should you allow this trouble to happen to me? When we see in 1 Peter 4, 12, 13, we're called not to be surprised as believers, not to be surprised when trouble comes, but to rejoice that we are joining in the sufferings of Christ. So we shouldn't be surprised. And a helper who is always found in times of trouble. This made me really think of what we've been studying on Sunday nights. If you come to the Sunday night Bible study, we've been going through a great book called Gentle and Lowly um, by Dane Ortland. It's one of my favorite books, one of the few books I've reread since I got out of seminary, um, which that was like three months ago, so that should tell you something, you know, like, it's a great book. Uh, I was actually rereading it before we started the study. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal book. You need to grab a hold of a copy. We've still got copies. I believe they're $10 a piece, $5. So they've gone down in price. Or were they always $5? Always five. I'm the youth minister, you know. <laughs> but uh, anyways, we've got copies back there for you. It is worth $5 to read. It'll change how you view certain things about Jesus or reinforce them if you've already got that down. But when I was in seminary, it really impacted how I view Jesus and who he is for us. And what it talks about, it looks at the verse Matthew 11:28 through 30, where Jesus says his heart is gentle and lowly. And so when, when he's describing his heart, he could have gone a different direction, right? He could have gone and said, I am majestic. I am the Lord. I am the creator. I am the one who, you know, is above all things. It's, he's the Alpha and the Omega. He is those things. But instead, Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly at heart. Come to me, who, all who are weary and heavy laden. And that is Jesus' heart. Jesus is our friend. He wants us to come to him. He is our refuge. He's a helper in a time of need. And so this made me think of what in our group that we were talking about on Sunday night, we talked about Jesus, this idea of Jesus as a friend. And so most human friends, you know, like eventually if Stephen keeps coming to you in trouble, you know, if if I keep coming to you over and over and over and over again, eventually you're going to get tired of it and be like, all right, Stephen, you know, you need to go figure this out on your own. You need, you know, you need some independence. You need some help. You know, there's a wall that kind of goes up eventually for humans. But what the author was talking about, Dane Ortland, he was talking about, he's like, Jesus never puts the wall up. He is always there, ready to receive us. He is a friend, ready to receive us, because he is gentle and lowly at heart. He is always found in times of trouble. He is our refuge and our strength. So the psalmist keeps going in verse 2. He says, therefore, we will not be afraid, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the sea. 
Though its waters roars, though the, its water roars and foams, and the mountains quake with its turmoil. So he's kind of offering us a picture, but first we got to stop and we got to look at the therefore. So I'm going to ask my students, what do we do when we see therefore? We ask, what's it therefore? We have to go back to the context, right? Like you have to see what the author was talking about before, before you can move on. So we say, what's it therefore? Well, he's talking about God is our strength. He is our refuge. He is always there in times of trouble. And because of that, because of that statement, we will not be afraid. It doesn't say we will have anxiety. It doesn't say we will struggle with this or that or be scared. No, it says we will not be afraid. And then he goes on to describe something that is completely outside of our control, right? He's talking about the weather. He's talking about storms and earthquakes. He says, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the sea, though its waters roar foams and foams and the mountains quake with its turmoil. And so I can't speak to the, the hardship and the, and the hurt and the struggle that went on with Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Imelda when y'all are here. I've heard many, many, many stories from you guys and testimonies of you guys about how hard that was when those came here. I can't speak to that. But I can speak that every time I hear a story about the hardship about what happened to those, I hear a testimony about how God used that hardship in the community of Southeast Texas, how God used South, the churches of Southeast Texas to go into the community and to reach people for the gospel and to impact people for the gospel of Jesus. And how, how Westgate, I believe y'all met, met on Sunday nights for a year or so afterwards and went out into the community and just ripped out housing and helped with rebuilding houses and flooding and, and all the things that happened with that. And I hear those testimonies that even through that hardship, even through that great turmoil and time, that God was still able to use even that time. He was still able to bring refuge to strength. He is always ready in times of trouble. So then the psalmist keeps going. He keeps on and describes, uh, he kind of goes the other direction in chapter 4. Let's turn, or sorry, verse 4. He said, there is a river, it streams delight, the city of God a holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is within her. She will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. And so most scholars, as I was reading this, most of them were saying that what he's referencing here, what the psalmist is talking about, is the city of Jerusalem, is Israel as a nation. He's talking about them being a dwelling place for the Lord, talking about them being a place where um, God, you know, God's chosen people, and you see that throughout the Old Testament, but for us today, it, may, you know, it makes me think of an even greater promise that we have received as believers in Jesus Christ. You know, it talks about um, there is a river, it streams of light, the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. And reading in 1 Peter, um, you see that we as believers, we have received an inheritance where we gain access to God, where we will one day dwell with Him in heaven, in the city of God, where we will dwell with Him. Um, we see all promises throughout Scripture of how we as believers, at the end of all things, we will be there with Him in eternity. And so we see this, this promise within that. It says, God is within her. She will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. And so these promises that we see throughout Scripture, all throughout, for that apply to us believers is a greater promise than that of what Israel received, right? We have the New Testament, the New Covenant. We get to receive these promises. And so in times of hardship, when all else is lost, we still have these promises. We've received something that is vastly greater than that of what we could lose in this life. 
we receive, we get to be in heaven with God. And that promise should be something that overcomes all. So the psalmist keeps going. Um, He keeps describing. He kind of goes back the other direction. Um, He says, nations rage, kingdoms topple. The earth melts when he lifts his voice. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. So he says, nations rage and kingdoms topple. And here, you know, you get the picture of war. You get the picture uh, of nations raging within each other and kingdoms falling over. Um, And I love the next section. It says, the earth melts when he lifts his voice. This made me think of the story of King Nebuchadnezzar and and Daniel. You know, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's the most powerful man, some say, that that ever lived. And he kind of got full of himself. You know, he's kind of walking around looking at his kingdom, what he's accomplished, and he kind of starts going, you know, look at me. You know, like, like, look at what I have accomplished. I'm King Nebuchadnezzar. I accomplished this. And the story goes that as soon as those words left his mouth, he was humbled. Boom. He was driven from his kingdom, and he had to go eat grass and and live like a wild animal for seven years until he looked up to the Lord and said, Lord, you are the one who establishes kingdoms. You are the one who establishes kings. You are the one who is in control of all things around us. And that's King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world that the Lord humbled in that moment. It makes me think of that story, and the, the, the earth melts when he lifts his voice. And this picture, I think of butter, you know, like when you melt butter, like it just melts, you know? <laughs> There's not like a lot of time to it. You put it in the microwave and it melts, you know, like, like it just melts. That is the idea of the Lord in control of all things. The earth melts when he raises his voice. The Lord is in control. And he goes on and he describes, it says, the psalmist says, um, the Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. And this is huge. It says the Lord of armies is with us. This is the Lord. This is the God of heaven who has the armies of heaven. The hosts of heaven is with us. This is the picture of the warrior God as he strives to go out to receive us to him. He strives to go out to win us back to him. He strives to go out um, sending Jesus to die for us. This is the warrior God whose presence desires for us to be with him. The Lord of armies is, of heaven is with us. And he goes on and says, the God of Jacob. Now this is the God that we see in the Old Testament. This is the God of Jacob. You get way back in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In those days, this is their God. This is the same God that was there yesterday, today, and tomorrow. This is the Alpha and the Omega. This is the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. It says that he is with us. This should be a great comfort to us that the the Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. The psalmist keeps going. He says in verse 8, it says, Come, see the works of the Lord who brings devastation on the earth. He makes wars cease throughout the earth. He shatters bows and cuts spears to pieces. He sets wagons ablaze. Once again, that picture of wars going on, that the Lord is in control of even times of war. But then this verse 10, this is probably my favorite verse. It says, stop fighting and know that I am God, exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. Some of your translations will say, cease striving. And I love that. And know that I am God. That picture, like, like we struggle, we're constantly clawing, trying to get out of trouble, trying to dodge this and that and the other. 
And the Lord is just saying, no, stop fighting. Cease striving and know that I am God. Exalted among the nations. Exalted on the earth. You know, we see in scripture later on that all will bow before him. All will kneel and say, confess with their tongues that he is Lord. That picture at the end of time, everyone will bow before the Lord. He is exalted. He will be glorified among the nations. He is exalted on the earth. So this is the God, and then he wraps up by saying, once again, the Lord of armies, the, the Lord of the hosts of heaven is with us, and the God of Jacob is our stronghold. So that story I began with, the story of me struggling as a 13-year-old, wondering, Lord, why would you make me go through this hardship? Why would you have me be born with this birth defect? Why would you do this to me? Why couldn't I be like the other kids who get to play baseball all summer and do that? Why would you do this, Lord? Why, why, why? was my question that was running through my head. And I, I told you earlier, I had professed faith in Christ at 10 years old, and so the Lord had been working in me until I was, you know, 12 or 13. It wasn't much long after this. But I remember when I was praying that, I was coming to the Lord, really just kind of pouring myself out to Him. And an otherworldly peace came over me. A peace that could only come from Him. I still remember the feeling to this day of just like, you know, Lord, I don't understand why. And I'm not going to ever really fully understand why. But Lord, I know that You are in control. Lord, I know that you have a plan. Lord, I know that you are going to make this all right at the end of all things. And I remember as a 12 and 13-year-old, the Holy Spirit helped me understand that, and I felt this peace about what I was about to have to go through. Now, the Lord didn't take away the surgeries. I still had to go through those, and they were not fun. <laughs> the morphine may have been a little fun. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. But um, I had surgery at 13, six months of recovery. Uh, 15, had surgery, another three months. Missed baseball season again. That's sad. Um, 17, uh, they extended my leg two inches. Um, six months to nine months, about a year and a half of physical therapy to recover from that. And so I had all of these surgeries done, and, and they weren't fun, but I'm able to walk. I'm able to run. I'm able to play. The Lord used that hardship to totally rework my mind. Baseball was my God. That was what I, I worshipped, baseball. But through these surgeries, he really worked through me and said, oh, I don't need baseball to have fun. I can go do other stuff. I can do other things. And I actually spent a lot of time with my youth minister, and he was able to kind of disciple me. And I really can tell you today, I would not be here today if it wasn't for those surgeries. I would be, you know, maybe on the Yankees, maybe. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I don't think I, I don't have the athletic miss the profile for that, you know. But... I would rather be in the will of the Lord, even if that was a possibility. I would rather be, honestly, I can say I'd rather be here with you, because if you're ever outside of the will of God, you're not going to be happy. You know, you need to be inside the will of the Lord. And so despite that hardship that I went through, God used it for His purposes. He knew that I was going to go through that, and He was going to use me for His glory, and I'm here today because of it. And so I don't know what you've got going in your life, the hardships that you've got going on, um, today, the things that are going on that, that you would say, bring to the Lord and say, why? Why me? But I do know what Scripture says, and that God is our refuge and strength. He is a helper who is always found in times of trouble. His heart is gentle and lowly. He wants us to come to Him with our troubles, with our pain. 
and he will give you peace about what is going on. He may not take away the trouble. Remember, the scripture says, don't be surprised when trouble comes along. It doesn't say he's going to take it away, but he will give us comfort and peace around them. And that's also why we have the church. That's why we have this community here. We are to help each other along through those hardships. And if you're here today and you haven't professed faith in Christ, you haven't trusted in the Lord um, Jesus as your Savior, then I would call to you today to make that decision today. See, the Lord loves you. He adores you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. So much so that he sent his son to live the perfect sinless life. You see, you and I, we have sinned against God. And that one sin, just one sin is enough to separate from his standard of perfection and holiness. Just one separates us from him. So God, seeing this, seeing this problem of sin, he could, as, a, as a righteous judge, he could have snuffed us out. Boom, started over but that's not the God of the Bible. See, God loves you, he adores you, he's a merciful, graceful God. And the Bible says in John three sixteen, it says, for God so loved the world, he gave his son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but gain everlasting life. See, Jesus came, lived the perfect life, he then died on the cross where God poured his wrath out for the sin of mankind, past, present, and future. And then Jesus was buried and he rose again. And that rising again, that is Jesus, the check clearing. That is Jesus overcoming the grave. That is our sins being forgiven, being paid for. And all you have to do is trust and believe in the gospel. Trust and believe that Jesus is Lord. Confess with your mouth that you are a sinner. And the Bible says that you will be saved. Trusting in what he has done on the cross, what Jesus has done on the cross for us. So if you haven't made that decision, if you haven't trusted in Jesus, come find me. Come talk to me. I'll be over in the crosses as our deacons make their way in the back. We've got deacons that'll be in the back that that would love nothing more than to talk to you about what it means to follow after Jesus as Lord and Savior. So if you haven't made that decision today, make it today. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Don't let it pass away. Don't let the worries of the world, what you're going to eat for lunch, what people are going to think about me, don't let that come in. Um, you can find me after. You can come tomorrow to church. <laughs> you, know, you can te- call me in the night. You know, whatever. I would love nothing more than to talk to you about what it means to come to faith. And believers in the room, what is our point of refreshment today? What is, it, what is it? Run to God. Run after Him. Bring your troubles and your sorrows to Him. He is gentle and lowly and wants to meet you where you're at. So let me pray as we enter our time of invitation. So. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for today, thankful for your word. Uh, Father, I pray that you would just take these words and help our hearts and our minds to receive them, Lord. Um, I pray, Father, that you'd help us, Lord, just to run after you, to run to you with our troubles, with our sins, with whatever is going on, Lord. Help us to bring them to you. And Father, I pray if there is someone here who hasn't trusted, who hasn't placed faith in you, Lord, that they would make the decision to do so today. Father, we love you and we praise you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
distribute the elements for the Lord's Supper this morning. I want to invite you to do exactly what that verse in Psalm that Stephen preached on this morning, to be still and to know that he is God. There's a time of preparation as we enter into this time of worship, as we come to this time of remembrance, of remembering what God has done for us. So as the elements are being distributed this morning, prepare yourself to receive them. If you are a guest here with us today, and you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and you have experienced baptism, bap, believer's baptism, we invite you to receive the Lord's Supper with us this morning. Mike, would you lead us in a word of prayer? Father, we are indeed thankful that we can be here today, that we can receive the elements and remembrance of salvation that Jesus has brought to us. We thank you that you are a true and holy God. Pray that you would guide us today in observance of these elements, and Lord, to be a witness and testimony to those around us of your love and your grace and your mercy and help us to remember to always investigate our own lives that we might be able to say that we have confessed our sins and claimed your forgiveness and we can have peace and harmony with you through that love and grace that you bestowed on us and I ask these things in Jesus name Amen
on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he blessed it. And he said, this is my body, which I give freely unto you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he also took the cup and he blessed it. And he said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. As often as you take it, as often as you observe this, always do this in remembrance of me. Amen and amen. As we stand together, if you have a decision that you'd like to make for the Lord, the message that Stephen brought, if, if God is pulling at your heart, don't wait. Make the move right now. You can go to one of the deacons. You can go over to Stephen. Make a decision for him right now as we sing this final song. Oh, 
you. Have a great week. See you back tonight for Bible study.